We will be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Jonathan read it a little bit earlier. We'll be focusing on friends and friendship. So that's what we're in store for. We've got Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Uh, this can be a bit of a, a depressing book, but it depresses us in order to encourage us. Um, so stay tuned. It's going to be a good time. As many of you know, I've become a bit notorious um, for my hiking adventures. I think I get a bad rap, but uh, that's for you to decide. So this summer, in preparation for a backpacking trip with the kids, uh, my dad and Curtis Sorgenfry, where he was at, um, I took uh, the kids, uh, Grace, Lily, Rose, and Seth, on an August hike to their first experience of Camp Mir on the south side of Mount Rainier. And it was a challenging hike. The kids all made it. I was proud of them. Uh, but that's not what the story's about. It's the events preceding and then uh, following that hike. Our 2006 red Kia Sedona, also known as the Spag Wagon, if you've seen our license plate, um, it was nearing the park entrance, and the battery warning lights began to flash. They went on and then off and then back on again, and I thought we'd be okay, but I was getting a bit nervous. We'd make it safely. And as we're driving up, we're just getting to the Paradise parking lot, and this is when the bad news came. The radio went, and the lights began to dim. And by the time we reached the parking stall, the spag wagon was limping into the, its spot. So this may be where my um, judgment was a bit impaired, but I thought, wow, we're already here. Why waste a beautiful day? We're all excited, so let's go hiking. We'll deal with the car when we get back. Let's make a good use of a bad situation. So that's what we did. We went hiking. Uh, we went up, and we came back down. And on the way down, we prayed that God would get us home safely. Actually, I prayed throughout the day that God would get us home safely. <laughs> and thankfully, when we got there, um, Paradise now has a cell phone service. So I called my wife, and I thought it was the alternator, so I said, maybe you can call O'Reilly, see if they have one in stock. If the car doesn't start, then we'll just stay the night here, and then she can, you can bring it in the morning. The bad news is when we got to paradise, we were famished. We were hungry. And due to COVID, like COVID, everything, <laughs> there was uh, no food. And Rose is pointing. I did forget to bring our lunch as well, but we had snacks. <laughs> All right. So we uh, decide it's getting a little late. We say, okay, let's see if we can get the spag wagon started. Let's see if we can get it down. So we, we tried to make it down. The battery was weak, but... Darkness was falling, and little quickly we ended up on the side of the road. The spag wagon was dead. Now, this is where Ray comes into the story, and Ray is my friend. Ray and his family, he pulled up in this large back black truck. And to the kindness of his heart, didn't know us at all, he became our friend. And he jumped our van five or more times on the way down. Um, the, the battery was so weak that we lost power steering, we lost power brakes, and he, in his big black truck, with his lights and everything, coasted us down the way. Our wagon made it safely down to Longmire. Um, at the end, I was so grateful for Ray, my new friend, that I broke all COVID protocol and I gave him a hearty handshake. <laughs> Ray was my friend. He was our friend. And if anybody needs a good plumber, he handed me his card and I would love it to give to you. In addition, April Thompson and Heather, my wife, became our heroes as they drove that night, instead of waiting the next day, up with food, which the kids loved, and an alternator. And by God's protection, uh, we made it home safely just after midnight that evening. So here's the point. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, you'll see it up there. Life without friends is sad. 
This is verses 1 through 8. Life with friends is better, but friendships in life leave us longing. Verses 13 to 16. In chapter 4, the preacher observes several relationships under the sun. And four times he'll use the word, the words, I saw, as uh, an indication of an observation he's going to make. And after the ob- observation, he'll come to some cl- conclusions, and you'll see the word, and you'll, it'll be flagged by the word better. He concludes, cl- conc- shows his conclusions by the word better. We shall see that friends, whether mere acquaintances like um, Ray or blood relatives, um, are essential to a happy, secure life. But when relationships are abusive, or separation ensues, or loneliness ex- is experienced, life is an unhappy business. It's an unhappy business. And even in the best relationships, we know that they miss the mark, and we also often long for more. So let's begin in verses 1 through 8, where three observations highlight that life without friends is sad. Three observations. Here's, a, here's the first one. People are vulnerable. The second one, selfishness reigns, and meaning is missing when we have a life without friends. So if you look at verses 1 through 3, we see the sadness of the vulnerable. I'll read it. Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who, who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. The picture of the vulnerability of life without friends is vivid right here. The oppressors bring the oppressed to tears. The powerful abuse the weak, and the weak have no resource to help. Human history is replete with stories of oppression. And so what the preacher sees is, an easy, is easy for us to envision, to translate into our day. We do not need a lot of examples to understand what he's saying. It's in our news feeds. It's apparent in our world. But the preacher here isn't speaking about moderate oppression. He's talking about the kind of oppression that leads someone to hate life itself. Um, he, where, where it would seem that it would be better if the oppressed had never had breath in their lungs. It's the kind of torment that you read in the book of Job, where he experienced the hand of Satan, where he said, he said in his affliction, let the day perish in which I was born, Job 3. A quick example, a sad example, in a news article from Georgia dated October 20th, 2020, which is just five days ago, a couple was indicted for murder, child abuse, aggravated child neglect, and kidnapping. And some of these poor children had been adopted and terrorized for several years. These horrific crimes, which I won't go into any further, there's no need, they make my stomach churn. I imagine that these poor children, these abused children, wished at times that they were never born rather than experience such torment. Kids like these, citizens under a terrible dictator, or girls being trafficked or we could say more, are vulnerable. And the preacher exposes that their vulnerability is due to no one advocating for their security and comfort. Like Job, they long for someone to comfort them, but no one is found. The preacher sees that life without an advocate, a friend, is sad. And for some, it is so sad that death 
or non-existence is what they would desire. We need others. The oppressed especially need others. But the preacher doesn't limit his observation to the horrors of terrible oppression. The preacher also sees less tragic but more common paths to a sad, friendless life. Look at verses 4 through 6. He sees the second sad path. This is a selfish ambition. In verse 4, social fragmentation is a byproduct of envy. I'll read it. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Men work hard, but in general their ambition isn't for the greater good, but in an attempt to keep up with the neighbor. He battles to outdo his neighbor uh, because of envy. Um, I recently heard a, a story, an old fable about two old men. And I think it illustrates this well. Let's, let's see if you can get the punchline. Once there was a man named Envy and the other named Greed. Right? In this story, Envy is out, allowed to ask a genie for anything that his heart, his heart desires. The catch, whatever he requests, the genie will give twice as much to greed. This notion, it terrorized envy. So what do you think he asked for? What do you think he asked for? He asked for one of his eyes to be poked out. He would rather suffer himself than see his neighbor prosper, a double punishment. It's true that much hard work is done because of the poor ambition of envy. We can't stand that our neighbor would get ahead, and so we toil to beat him out. The preacher sees the vanity of working to get ahead and the division it causes. Now, in verse 5, we also see self and selfish ambition, but it's in the opposite direction. Look at verse 5. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Picture that in your mind. While one man toils greatly to beat out his neighbor, another's ambition is to work as little as possible. The lazy man believes that his greatest pleasure comes through not working, for lounging around. This is the opposite of not working, but it is still rooted in selfishness. The laziest man's selfish desire for lounging keeps him from serving others, from working for others. The proverb of verse 5 graphically self of pleasure. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. The preacher again observes life and he sees the great toiling and striving for gain. But the laborer, he has no one to pass on what he's earned. He has no one to pass on his possessions. The job itself has consumed him. And so he's, fo- he's so focused on getting ahead, he never pauses to ask these simple questions that are important. What will happen when I die? He never considers, why do I sacrifice so much when it will last? He doesn't realize that his labor is missing meaning. The pursuit of happiness can make us blind to very important matters. So let me be, let's, let's be clear together. People are more important than possessions. We know that. It's better to have a messy home and a dirty car full of people than to have a perfect house and a sparkling car and be alone. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Striving to gain only to be left alone is unhappy business. It is sad. Without someone to share the products of our labors, the meaning of our work is missing. 
Make a choice. Make a choice to have fewer possessions and more family. To labor less and build more relationships. Seth, uh, my son, um, he's recently been working on trying to do a flip on the trampoline. And he would get so close and he'd say, Dad, Dad, look. And then he'd fall. And after a while, I have to admit, sorry, Seth, I was getting a little bored. But I was glad he had this determination. But just recently, he completed his flip, and he showed me, and he showed everybody else. And it was an accomplishment for him to reach that goal. But it was all the better for him to experience that with others. It made it more meaningful. Life without friends is sad. For without friends, people are vulnerable, selfishness reigns, and meaning is missing. I exhort you to seek friendships. We need one another. Our happiness and the happiness of others is tied to friendship. Friendship protects us. Friendship curtails our selfishness. And friendship gives meaning to our labors. Friendship is especially important in a time of pandemic. You and I need to fight for friendship in a time where we're encouraged to distance. Right now, we need to keep each other healthy from a virus. We must not give ground to the plague of loneliness. So, Pick up the phone, join a small group, ask the pastors to play e-harmony for you in the sense of not with, the, with, with each other, not just like men and women. <laughs> Simply give more quality time to those maybe who just are in your home. Those are right in front of you. Give more time to them. Don't let the time pass by. Fight for friendships. And this takes us to point number two. Life with friends is better. We're now in verses 9 through 12. The preacher's observation causes him to simply conclude that two are better than one. And then he's going to give us several reasons. Let me read verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no other to lift him up. Has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The preacher's conclusion is really, it's not shocking. Two are better than one, and three even better. Verse 9 tells us that working together brings a more reward. There's more, more, more successful. Verse 10 tells us that companionship provides help when you have stumbled. Uh, verse 11 uh, says that company promotes uh, warmth, leading to health. And then verse 12 says that a friend furnishes protection when we're assailed or attacked. The preacher's conclusion is not shocking. Two are better than one, and three even better. Our friends and our family and our co-workers, our teammates, they are a gift to us. They're a gift to us. But I would say, if we're honest, we must admit that life under this sun, we often take them for granted. Sometimes it is those who are closest to us that we take most for granted. This passage highlights one of the greatest gifts in this life is companionship. And then rather than take it for granted, we ought to appreciate our friends and our family all the more. When God created this world, he created, you know, good Good, good, good. His only critique of his creation was that it was not good that man should be alone. 
Therefore, he created a woman for a companionship and help. This was a game changer in that garden. (laughs) It was exactly what the man needed. He needed a companion. We need companionship. Old and young, singles and married, men and women need companionship. I've been reflecting recently upon my parents. They're growing older. They'll turn 70 next year. And it shouldn't take them getting older for me to fully appreciate them. But because time is passing, I'm realizing that our visits are more limited. And I will only have so many with them. There's only so much time. As I get older and they get older, I'm appreciating them all the more. I'm certain that I will grieve. I will grieve deeply when they go home to be with the Lord. But I don't want my delay. I don't want to delay my appreciation until that time. Who are the people in your life that are a gift to you? You might be sitting next to them right now. Do you appreciate them as God's gifts to you? Do you know, do do they know that you appreciate them, that you love them? If not, think how your friends and family have sacrificed for you. Some of them have spent sleepless nights for you. They've given towards your needs and your wants. They've spent time helping and teaching you. They've expended energy comforting you. Two are better than one. And we ought to appreciate those that God has put into our lives. But let's reflect just a little bit deeper for a second. Friends and family relationships aren't meant to be without conflict. Since we all have character qualities that need to be refined, (laughs) you could say they're problems, God uses these relationships to stretch us. And when this happens, it often is hard to appreciate the friends and family in our lives. Their work in our lives reveals our failings and our impatiences. And so it can feel like one is better than two. (laughs) It can feel like that sometimes. But the mature person, or shall I say the maturing person, none of us have have arrived at maturity. The maturing person recognizes that all relationships are for our good. And they are worth the headache or the heartache, because God uses them for our success and help and health and protection. The maturing person seeks to appreciate all the relationships that God has brought, has established. Church, I want to exhort us a second time to pursue friendships. Don't give up if things are hard. The church is an especially important place for us to pursue friendships. Why? Well, we are more successful in our Christian witness with one another. We need help from others to grow when we stumble. We, the, the warmth of our love for Jesus is healthier when we have other Christians that we're sharing it with. Fellowship protects us from the enemy, the world, and our flesh that tries to take us down. We need others to inspire success, lift us up when we fall, and give us a hug when we're spiritually cold. Fight alongside us against the enemy and against sin. The church is the absolute best place for friendships, and we ought to appreciate them more and more. Even the friendships that are filled with conflict, for they often, they often help us grow the most. Before we move on, I want to speak directly to husbands and wives. Take some time this week to, to consider how your husband or your wife has engendered more success in your life. Lifted you up 
when you were low. It kept you warm when you felt cold, especially last night, and protected you when an attack came. This use this as a springboard to a greater appreciation of your wife, as a way to further treasure your husband. And children, you can have the same reflection about your parents. Parents about your children. Friends about your friendships. Those of you who are single, don't feel left out. The greatest man who ever lived was single. But what did he spend his life doing? He spent his life engendering success in others, lifting up the brokenhearted, warming the hearts of the spiritually cold, spiritually dead, and protecting others from assault. So each one of us, old and young, single and married, men and women, can, can grow in appreciating friendships. These reflections are important for us to appreciate that two is better than one, and three even better. So finally, we get to turn to our last point. Verse 13 to 16. Friendships in life, they leave us a little longing. Look at verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. I'll stop there. Here we have this old king, and he, was, he once ruled well. He was blessed with many counselors, and he learned from them, and he listened to them. He sought guidance and considered what they, they said, and he made good decisions. But as he grew older, he um, became foolish, did not appreciate um, the advice and input. And I think we can make the educated guess he probably least appreciated, or he didn't like the advice that was against his the most often. That's probably true. And therefore, he failed as a leader in his old age, and he didn't appreciate the gifts of the people that were in his life. But then, a poor and wise wise youth comes along. We read this in verses 14 to 16. I'll continue on. For he, that is the wise youth, went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. At the time this story was written, um, age and wealth and lineage were highly honored. And so the story is meant to shock us. It's meant to shock us. It should be the old king and, with wealth and pedigree who's wise. But it's the poor young pauper who is shown to be wise. And why is he wise? Well, because the old king didn't appreciate the counselors in, the life, in his life. But the poor young uh, youth, he led his people well. And, he let, and they followed him willingly. He did not exclude them, but he created unity among them. So like all of chapter 4, we see this importance of relationships and appreciating the people in our lives. But that's not how the story ends, is it? The latter half of verse 16 is a reality check. It tells us something we know about life and the vanity under the sun. Let me read the latter half of verse 16. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him, the wise youth. Surely this also is vanity and is striving after wind. This poor, wise youth led the people very well, but in the end, he was abandoned. He wasn't appreciated. Public opinion shifted, and he was left alone, just like the old king. One took the wise path, one took the foolish path, but they were both abandoned. It makes sense to us that the foolish king would be abandoned, but I find it a bit troubling that the poor wise youth would likewise be abandoned. So what does this tell us? 
it seems quite discouraging. But that's what this book is about. (laughs) Ecclesiastes discourages us so we might search for more. The reality is that people in this world are fickle. Our feelings change week by week, day by day, moment by moment. Sometimes we can be as happy as can be, and then one event or memory or maybe a bad piece of pizza, and our outlook changes. People are fickle. And because our feelings are fickle, we experience relational separation, even in the best relationships. My wife and I, uh, we have a wonderful relationship. I give it a 10. And by God's grace, we don't have a lot of arguments leading to hurt feelings. But recently, we've both had uh, an experience of, of our feelings being hurt over just little matters. But past experiences and some stress outside of our relationship, and then the perceived present offense, and we've both, our moods have changed quickly. I assume that you can relate to this. <laughs> Thankfully, within a short time, we were able to talk it out and ask for forgiveness and see how pressures outside amplified these reactions and feelings. But it's not easy. We don't like it. Human relationships are perilous, and they're unsteady. And even the best relationships, they have fissures and fractures. And relationships that once promoted success and support and warmth and protection, as we saw in those verses, today they're broken. And hopefully for a short time, but some for long periods of time. The bottom line, friendships in this life leave us longing. We need greater stability than human stability in our relationships. We need power from outside of life under the sun. We need strength from on high. At the end of three years of ministry, Jesus, he gathered a large and diverse group of followers. His miracles, his teachings, the authority which with he taught, it stirred people. And the people decided to install him as their king. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and they shouted, Hosanna, save now. And they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In Luke 19. They waved palm branches and they laid their coats in front of him to honor him as the king. And so Jesus, who was raised in poverty, brought up among common parents, was now being extolled by the people as king. Jesus went from a poor, wise youth to a kingly coronation ceremony. But we all know the story doesn't end there, does it? One week later, he wasn't extolled, but he was scorned. The people didn't take him as king, but mocked him as a king. They didn't, shout, they didn't shout Hosanna, they shouted, crucify him. And they nailed Jesus to the cross, and they killed him. And the mocking sign above his head was king of the Jews. And you know what? If life were only under the sun, this would be the end of the story. A poor, wise king, dead. But life isn't only in the, under the sun. We must never forget that. There is power and strength outside of human fortitude. The reason we are here today, the reason we're here today, is that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended on the first day of the week. Then he sent power from on a high, his own spirit to dwell in his people, and so all who are united to Christ are united to each other. They are one in him. That is good news. This morning, um, we're going to have a baptism And baptism is a symbolic representation of dying like Christ died, down into the watery grave, and then rising like Christ rose, coming out 
from that grave alive and new. The follower identifies with Christ by baptism, and in so doing, the baptized believer is symbolically united to all other followers of Christ who have been baptized. He or she is united to the members of Christ's church. Union with Christ is better than all friends or family because only in Christ is there power from above. When Jesus hung upon the cross, you know his words, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those who were murdering him, he said, Father, forgive them. This is power beyond human strength. It is healing power. It is the strength to love not ones who are your loved ones, but those who are your enemies. The good news of Jesus Christ is that all who put their trust in Christ are united to Christ, and they are united to God and his people, his church. This is the only relationship that will endure forever. Friends are better than loneliness, but friendship in this life will leave us longing. That is why life with Christ is best. Life with Christ is best. Whether you are currently a follower of Christ or you're opposed to Christ, come to him. Come to him. He invites you. A relationship with him is the tie that binds us together. As verse 12 says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The power of the Spirit of Christ miraculously binds together flawed individuals in union with God and one another. Amen? That is good news. This morning, um, we've been talking about friendships, and as we close, I feel our church um, could be helped by talking about uh, our friendships in light of our present circumstances. And I'm pastorally concerned that friendships in our midst could be broken if we don't guard them. We live in a particular time of of sex, a time of groups. It's a time where factions um, gather around ideas, and as a result, there's these polarizing divisions that take place in Uh, society, and also within our church. There's polarizing people who influence these decisions. And so in light of this, I want to give some some concrete examples of ways I feel like our church is being impacted and our society is being impacted that hopefully would help us. In my conversations with you and observing the headlines, there's three areas I want to say. I've seen these. They're a source of contention. First, COVID and the response to COVID. These won't be surprising to you. Second, race and the discussions around race, and through politics and the presidency. Now, hear me clearly. Each of these are important topics, and we each place a different level of um, importance upon these matters. I have heartfelt opinions about these topics. I'm, I'm guessing most of you do too. But the application of this text isn't about our opinions, but our relationships. If we toil and work to promote our view at the expense of our relationships— if we put our man or our cause at the expense of unity among the brothers, I say we've erred. Our church has a statement of faith, and it's meant to be as inclusive as possible. Every member of the church must assent to the beliefs within that document to be a member. It includes the essentials of the biblical faith, salvation issues. It also includes biblical doctrines that are needed for a local church to function together cohesively. It purposely does not include all kinds of topics in the Bible that some of us hold very firm positions upon. And why? Because it is healthy in God's design that people who have different consciences and different ideas 
and different actions live in community. Jesus' power and greatness is shown through unity among different people. So within the church, you and I should expect to be with different people than us. People who arrive at different conclusions than we make. People who align their views with the people, different people than we align with. And we should ought and it, to expect difficult conversations. We ought to value these and appreciate them and to seek to understand the views of others. Really try to seek to understand where someone else is coming from when they make a particular idea or thought. And our prayer is that living life together, we will conform to Christ together. But we can't forget that life, while life under the sun, we will never fully agree. We need power from above to live together. And we can be only as united as we are united to Christ. The good news of the gospel makes that which really would be impossible, makes it possible. The light unites people together. So let me make a final request of us. Stand firm on essential matters. But please, seek to be as inclusive as possible. Seek to understand and love and bear with one another. These are the one another commandments in the scriptures that we see laid out in our church covenant. So don't give up. Keep pursuing friendships. Keep pursuing them, especially within the church. For we have power from on high, power for patience and forgiveness and faithfulness, and we can be sure that one day we will be united together in perfect unity. Friends are better than loneliness, but friendships in this life leave us longing. Therefore, Christ is best. As we baptize two young ladies this morning, let us, re- let us be reminded that Christ is best. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you um, for a life in which you made community and how that community reflects and is rooted in uh, you being a God who is three in one, a God who is a community himself. And God, I pray that you would take us a diverse group of people, and teach us to love one another and learn from one another. Maybe relationships that have been broken or um, we haven't um, regarded it as highly as we ought to, Lord, help us to reflect and, and remember and just be thankful for what the people you've put in our lives, even those relationships that are hard and difficult. Lord, thank you, Lord. I know I need this prayer. I know we all do. So, Lord, we ask that you would do that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.